reading today will be out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and then the rain and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the great was the fall of it. Well, I'm very grateful to be back with this fine congregation. I was away in a gospel meeting in West Plains, Missouri, and I enjoyed being with those good folks there. And, and thank you, Phil, for filling in for me. I've heard so many fine comments about that and for all who filled in for me while I was gone. And I'm always very grateful for those who do fill in for me while I take a visit here and there and visit with other congregations to try to help them. But I'm always happy to be back. It always feels better when I'm back here at home, and, and um, I am happy that you are with us today, and I look forward to our discussion as well as our study and worship again this evening. So I'm very happy and pleased that I could go and do that and yet be back with you again today. My mother had her birthday uh, yesterday, and may I say to um, the many of you who sent cards, we appreciate very much your consideration of her. She's 91, and I'm very thankful for that and very grateful for her and her influence in my life and in all of our lives, and I'm thankful for your kind consideration, each one that happened to send a card or something of kindness like that to her. She's very appreciative of it. You and I have been studying about the family of God. The family of God, of course, is a, uh, an analogy which talks about the relationship which we have with each other and with Christ. We're family. And you and I have been talking about that analogy for some time, and we've gotten ourselves to the point where we're talking about when and what happens when the family of God assembles together and we worship together. And we talked about that a little bit last time that I was with you, and I'd like to consider that even further today. And what happens when we come together? And it's a pretty important matter that we're discussing today. It always is, of course. But what we have in mind today is our worship, and we're thinking about that as we assemble together. When you came into this building, one of the things that you saw, and it had to be uh, in front of you and you could not miss it, is this pulpit. And I've mentioned before about the fact that it's a position of leadership. This pulpit, prayers are led from this pulpit, and thank you for the fine prayers we've had today. Thank you very much. Songs have been led today from this pulpit, and thank you for leading us in those fine songs. And it's just so thrilling to hear a congregation thank God for loving us and caring for us like we just did. And then, of course, the scriptures are read from the pulpit. Thank you for the reading of the scripture. And also the explanation of the scriptures given, the preaching is given from the pulpit. The pulpit is a central focus of our worship. And it's uh, an important time in our coming together. And the question sometimes is asked, is preaching worship? And the answer to that is yes, 
indeed it is. And that is the time when the family comes together and listens to God. Now God instructs His people through His Word. Do not get the false notion that there's some still small voice in the dark speaking to your heart alone and no one else, which is not a scriptural concept. But what is a very scriptural concept and a foundation matter with regard to our faith is the fact that God does speak to us through His Word. And that we must insist. It is the instruction and the teaching of God that we're listening to and we're considering, which gives great importance to every gospel sermon. And that we, as the family of God, are to be actively engaged as listeners to that instruction. Now, our children go to school and they learn things like reading, which is so important, and how to write. And they learn calculations such as arithmetic and mathematics. They learn about writing. But they also need to learn about listening. And that a person cannot learn if he is not listening. And one of the important responsibilities which children have is to listen and listen properly to the instruction that they're given. But adults are the same way. Adults need to learn to listen and to be actively engaged in this part of our worship service. We are worshiping God right now. We're actively engaged in that worship service by the listening process. In fact, if you will not listen, then you have no hope of learning about the gospel or having eternal life. If you will listen to what the Word of God has to say, then you're at the beginning moment of salvation. You don't have it yet, but you're at the beginning moment of it, whereby you're learning and you're listening and you're giving your heart and your mind to the things that are being said. So it could be said that the ear is one of the most important parts of the body. The Bible gives great emphasis to the mind and the heart, but also the ear is the gateway to the heart and to the mind. And as we listen to the Word of God, we ought to be actively engaged in that particular matter. Sometimes people will not listen. In fact, that's the way it was in the time of Jesus. In John chapter 6, many withdrew from Him and would no longer listen to Him. And you'll find that in paragraph 59, verses 66. But I chose Romans chapter 10 Because Romans chapter 10, about verse 14, Paul emphasizes the importance of listening and hearing. And I think it's a beautiful way that Paul put it, and if you'll notice as I read this text, the last point of his verse becomes the first point of the next sentence. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Verse 14. How will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, what he's doing there is quoting Old Testament Scripture, and he's referencing more so the timeliness, the appropriateness, the effectiveness of the message. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So Paul quotes Isaiah, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, he said, not everybody listened, and not everybody heard. And he's making application to the Jews of his day, of the first century. And he's writing to the church at Rome, and many of the Jews, for the most part, would not listen. They would not hear. 
And that's his point. You can't be saved unless you hear and follow through with what you've heard. One of the great moments of the life of Jesus was Matthew chapter 17. There Jesus went up into a mountain apart from him. He took Peter, James, and John and was transfigured before them. Now transfigured is a word which we get our word metamorphosis from. And how it is applied in Matthew chapter 17 is that the inward nature of Christ was now made visible. It means change. His face was as bright as the sun, and his clothing was as white as the light. And what they are seeing is the inward nature of Jesus made visible to their eyes. And what they saw was holiness and purity and glory. And Peter's all caught up in the moment. And then God speaks from heaven, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In other words, there was a time for men to listen to Moses. And there was a time for men to listen to Elijah. But now's the time to listen to Christ. And we need to heed the teaching of Christ. For if we do not, if we're not actively engaged as the family of God, to the listening of the Word of God, then we're not being a doer of the Word. We would know how to be a doer of the Word, James chapter 1 and verse 22. And James has told us to be a doer of the Word and not hearers only. Now we've read for you already this morning, Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. And in that particular passage, the Bible is saying about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying this, that a wise man builds his house on the rock, but a foolish man builds his house on the sand. And the people, when they heard the listening and the teaching of the Word of God, they were amazed at the authority of Christ. Now there are five sermons of Jesus in the New Testament, and this is one of them, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the people, each time they hear Jesus preach, they're amazed at His authority. They're amazed at the message which they gave. He gave. They were listening. They were actively engaged. That's what the family of God is to do. The family of God is to come on the first day of the week, and part of our worship is to be actively engaged in listening when God speaks. God speaks through His Word, and we've got to listen, and we've got to do. In Matthew chapter 13, you have the parable of the sower. And it's one of my favorite parables, as I've said many times. A sower went forth to sow. Jesus explained the parable. The seed is the Word of God, He said. And some of that seed falls by the wayside, which is a hard-hearted type of soil. And then there's some that's shallow ground, and then there's some that are among the thorns. And the cares of life grow up and choke out the Word of God. And then there's good ground that which does bear good fruit, and it is um, in its varied abilities and various amounts the fruit is to be born and is produced. And he ends the parable, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 9, in the discussion about he who has ears, let him hear. So everything I'm seeing from the pages of the Bible is laying responsibility upon the hearer, that we as the family of God, when we come together, and worship God, and the Bible is being preached, we have a responsibility to listen to it. But we're not actively engaged in listening to the Word of God if we take casual sorties throughout the building, nor are we actively engaged in listening to the Word of God if we're involved in this portion of the worship 
but yet we're having casual conversation out there in the hallway. We have a responsibility to listen to what God says. And we have a responsibility to be focused, for if we don't, we're not involved in this part of the worship. When we assemble together and we're involved in the worship, we ought to be actively engaged in that, listening very actively and carefully. Now, another important part of this moment that we're involved in in our worship is an aspect about which we learn about preaching. And so let me talk a little bit about preaching from the standpoint of the New Testament and what it really means and how important it really is. This is not just something we do because we've got to do something to take up our time. But this is something that we do because it is an active part of our worship service. It was Phillips Brooks, a denominational preacher in the Massachusetts Bay Area, who made the statement one time, that preaching was the communication of truth by man to man. And there really are two components to preaching. There is divine component, and then there is a human component to preaching. It's all a part of our Christian worship. You see, when man took the forbidden fruit, sin worked its way into the world. And God immediately set upon a task and a plan whereby man could receive redemption and forgiveness of his sins. In so doing, God allowed man to utilize his own free choice in which he could decide for the Word of God or not, decide to accept it or decide to reject it. And man is never forced to do the will of God. God has never twisted anyone's arm and said, you've got to do this and I'm going to force you to do it. Man has always been free to decide if he's going to worship, if he's going to obey, or rebel and disobey God's Word. God always respects man's freedom of choice. He created us that way. Man, therefore, has an opportunity to listen to the Word of God and to understand it as best he possibly can. The Word of God has come to us by means of inspired men where God breathed into them the message that He wanted them to relate and to reveal. God has always had great preachers, great preachers. He's had men like Moses, who was one who spoke to God face to face. He's had men like Samuel, who led the people of God and explained the people of God to the people of God what the will of God was, and He would chastise the people of God and rebuke the king because of his wickedness, that is King Saul. He's had great preachers like Isaiah, who would stand upon the temple steps and proclaim the Word of God boldly. He would have great preachers like Jeremiah, who in the very face of captivity would admonish the people of God to repent before it's too late and to put their hope and their trust in God. Great preachers like an Amos. He's not a professional type preacher. He was a a dresser of sycamore, sycamore trees, herder of sheep, but yet he was given the responsibility to preach God's Word. Great preachers like Peter, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul. But the greatest proclaimer of all, of course, would be Jesus Christ. Nobody could preach like Jesus. But God knew that this living message was powerfully presented by a living human being. And He chose that as a means of delivering the message, a living message by a living messenger, who really believed in the message, who really believed in its value, 
who really believed in its importance. And when you combine the living message with a living messenger who really believes in the truth of what he is saying, then in turn you have a powerful force. The messenger becomes a powerful channel to deliver the powerful message. Make sure that there's no mistake about it, that the emphasis is upon the divine message. The power's in the message, not in the messenger. The messenger is simply a channel by which the message can be delivered. That's what we're doing now. We're involved in worship service, and we're assembled together as the family of God, and we're worshiping God. And we're going through this particular aspect of worship which God has authorized and knows that it's the best thing for us. How does Tyler get its water? Well, I wasn't exactly sure, so I go where everybody goes, and I Googled it. And we get our water from three different places. I wasn't sure about this. We get our water from Lake Tyler. And then you got East Lake Tyler, and then you have Palestine Lake. And these particular reservoirs and depositories of water is where Tyler gets its water. And without this water, there are thousands of homes, thousands of people and businesses who could not survive here. But because of the water, they in turn can survive and thrive and live in this location. The water is important. The water is deposited in these great lakes. But just because the water is deposited over there doesn't mean it gets to the people where it's needed. You've got to have some means of transporting the water to the people. So what do we have? We have these great iron pipes that actually bring the water through pumping stations, filtration stations, and wonderful mechanical technological advances whereby we can drink water. And you turn on the tap and you have water that's clear and fresh, and it's amazing. It comes right into your house, but it wouldn't be there if it weren't for the pipes. Now, I don't know that there's anything really exciting about a black iron pipe, whether it's above the ground or below the ground, but the black iron pipe is an important aspect of bringing the water to the people. We wouldn't have these benefits without them. Well, the black iron pipe is a good water pipe if it gets the water to where it needs to go without any impurity in the water. That's a good water pipe. When it brings the water from where it's stored to the people who need it, without any kind of impurity being involved in it, that's a good water pipe. And like it is with regard to the preaching of the Word of God, we have the depository of the Word of God. It's a permanent record called the Bible. It does not change. It's a wonderful thing that God has given. He's given us the Bible whereby we can go and study it and carefully look at it, study it and, and uh, understand it. But yet at the same time, there needs to be a conduit, a channel. And God has said, the way to do this is to take this living message and let a living messenger present it to the people. And when you have a good water pipe bringing the water to the people without impurity, and you have a good messenger bringing the pure message of God to the people who need to hear it, then you've got a good messenger there. And that's the way God wanted it, and that's the way that it ought to be. So God gave us instruction about how important this is, 
this moment that we are now engaged in, this assembly which we are now focusing on, whereby the Word of God is being taught and explained and being read. How important is the preaching? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible tells us something of the matter. Verse 18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those which are perishing. But unto us which are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Indeed, indeed. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. He's talking about the importance of preaching. And he's saying there that even though to the world it might seem to be a foolish message, still it was God's divine way, great wisdom involved in preaching the Word of God in its purity. It's God's way to get the message from this permanent record into the hearts and the minds of the people who need to hear it and obey it. What we're doing here in this assembly as the family of God, we're listening to God talk to us. And we need to be actively engaged in the study and the listening of the Word of God. One of my favorite passages would have to be the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, you have a very succinctly stated passage there which really talks about not only the basic message of the book of Romans, but it also talks about the heart of Christianity. And he really is emphasizing this. I love this section because he senses a sense of obligation with regard to the matter of teaching others the Word of God. It starts in about verse 14. I'm in Romans 1. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to do what? To preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Beautiful sentiment in verse 17. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Quoting from an Old Testament passage from the book of Haggai. So what he's saying here is, this is the power of God's Word that we're talking about. The powers in the message. The powers in the Word. The power's in the gospel. But God chose men to be the messengers. He chose this avenue, this venue, by which it would be conveyed to those who are in need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in the verse, verse 7, there Paul talks about we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He means that these apostles now are the men who have been given the responsibility of preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. And it is from their lead and from their inspired word that we preach today. Now, there are two objectives in this matter. When we assemble as the family of God in our worship service here we're doing today, there are two important objectives that we're trying to accomplish here. One important objective is always the fact 
that there may be someone here who's never obeyed the gospel. By obey the gospel, I mean the same thing that Paul meant in Romans chapter 1, verse 6, Romans chapter 16 and 26. Out of an obedient faith, accept, embrace, abide by, live by, engage in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To accept it, we may have someone who's never done that. And we always want to let everyone know that we are lost without Christ and that you need the Savior. And this is how that you will be in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. You will become one in Christ when one repents of his sins, is baptized into Christ for forgiveness, Acts 2, verse 38. Confesses faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he's been raised from the dead. That is one of our objectives. And when we stand before people like I'm doing today, and I have the privilege of doing that, it's a great privilege, that I have the opportunity and the privilege to stand before an audience such as this and who are giving such keen interest and attention to the matter. There may be someone who needs to obey the gospel. And I want you to understand how important it is for you to come to Christ in the New Testament fashion. There's a second objective, though, that's given to us, and that is to edify, to build up, to encourage. It's a wonderful time for the family of God to come together and assemble, and in this portion of our worship, we're being edified and built up and encouraged by this Word of God. That's what is being told to us in the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to show to His bondservant the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now you and I love to study this great New Testament book of prophecy. But you'll notice how that he begins the book. This is what you need to hear. This is the communication that you need to listen to very carefully. <clears throat> now we're coming to a building that's a very attractive building. It's a very comfortable building. And it's important that we keep our building in the good condition that we can. Because it says something not only to the community, it says something to us as to how important our worship really is. But first century Christians didn't have a building. Buildings didn't really arise until the second, third Christian century and even later. By the time you get to the 11th century, then you really start having elaborate buildings to worship in. What Christians did in the first century was meet in people's homes. And sometimes they would meet in caves. And they did that because it was illegal to worship God. And it was illegal to worship God as the New Testament church. And the shades would be drawn and it would be in the evening. Because there they would not want the authorities to know that they were worshiping because it was an illegal thing for them to do. And they could be punished and punished severely if they caught, were caught doing it. But yet they gathered together anyway as the family of God. And they worshiped God. And an inspired writer like the Apostle Paul would send an inspired letter to the congregation that was meeting in that location. Perhaps it might be the book of Galatians. And they would circulate that book from one congregation to another. And so doing, a reader would stand up. Because not everybody could read. And not everyone could uh, 
read the Scripture for themselves. They didn't have many of the advances that we have today with regard to the different methods of reading. Well, he would stand up and he'd read the Scripture. He would read what the Apostle Paul had given them. And it's amazing how they're reading the very words of Paul. And then he would give some explanation, maybe define a term, maybe to help them understand, interpret somewhat what the Apostle Paul was saying for those who did not know. Isn't it amazing? We still have the words of the Apostle Paul and that when we come together, we're reading his actual words and definitions are given and explanations are given with regard to this particular matter. And the Christians were blessed because preaching was being done every first day of the week. And they assembled together, the family of God. Now the Emperor Julian came along and he noticed, you know, the people aren't attending the pagan worship service like they should. They're not attending their pagan worship service. I wonder why they're not doing that. And the priests that are involved in the pagan worship service in the Roman Empire weren't doing their job like they should have been doing. And he also noticed that those tradesmen that were associated with worship and taking care of the worship, that they got their living from that kind of thing. They weren't being used. Sacrifices weren't being bought uh, like they should be bought in order for commercial purposes to be satisfied. And in so doing, he was concerned about it. And one of the priests said, well, one of the things I noticed about the Christians is they meet every Sunday and they preach every Sunday. And Julian said, they preach. He said, they preach every Sunday. He said, all right, that's it. I want all pagan priests to start preaching every time you get up into the worship of your particular pagan religion and ideology. It's sort of an unintended, powerful compliment to the church of the early century that people noticed how Christian preachers preach, and they preach the Word of God every Sunday. William Paley, in his book, Evidences of Christianity, describes the early church in its day and what the preachers of the gospel saw when they came into a Roman city. And I thought it was very interesting, so I copied it down for us. And he elaborates on that particular matter. He said, now one of the things they saw when they went into a, to a Roman city, missionaries would go, they would see a very elaborate uh, cathedral-type church building for paganism. They would see hordes and hordes of priests, and the costly temple would be there where the pagans would worship. Now they would see tradesmen out there on the street selling their wares for idolatrous pagan worship. They'd go into a Roman city and there would be the theaters, which dotted every Roman city. And in so doing, that would be the place where sensual programs would be offered and religious spectacles would be presented. Another thing common to a Roman city in ancient times was the arena, where there would be the bloody gladiatorial contests for the pride and the lust of the people who would watch it. Then they would go into a Roman city and there'd be teachers there. There'd be different teachers of the mystery religions and the pagan religions. There would be the ancient philosophers there and the agora, 
preaching and teaching their particular philosophical views. And when these Christians went as missionaries into pagan cities, one of the things that they would always encounter would be the animosity of the Jews of that day. But yet what happened? The preaching of the cross to the Jews which became the most pagan and the basest of uh, uh, depths and deaths that were reserved for the most heinous of crimes, people would be preaching that and be converted to it. And I was so impressed with what uh, he said here, Paley, that I wrote this paragraph down. I'm going to read it. It's not mine. It's his. Yet to the cross of Christ, men turned from deities in which were embodied every attribute of strength, power, and dignity. In an incredible short space of time, multitudes of men gave up the splendor, the pride, and the power of paganism to adore a being who was thus humiliated beneath the meanest of mankind, who had become, according to the literal interpretation of the prophecy, a very scorn of men and an outcast of the people. That's the power preaching that did that, where men and women listened to the Word of God through a human channel that would, in its purity, be delivered so that people could understand what Christianity was about and would accept it. Here we are today, assembled in a very fine auditorium, and we're thankful that we have it, and we're grateful for the opportunity. And yet at the same time, are we really engaged in the listening to the proclamation and the teaching of the greatest message in all the world? So now I want to get to a point that has become near and dear to me as well. What is our present need? What do we need to be doing? In our day and time, the greatest need is for more preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. And young men who want to do that, who see the need of preaching the Word of God, whose hearts are filled with the milk of human kindness, who realize that this message is the message from God to man from heaven, and that they have the need and the desire to teach other people. You know, Anybody can fill a pulpit, but it takes a good preacher to fill a pulpit properly. And a good preacher is the kind of water pipe that brings the message to the needed hearer without any impurity. You see, there are some people who have to get up and say something. But then there are other people who have, get up because they have something to say. And the message which they have to say is the teaching of the Word of God. I wonder how many hundreds, maybe thousands of churches of Christ that do not have a preacher who simply come together and worship as best they can, or how many thousands of cities in America that do not have even a church of the Lord. The great need that we have is the need of preaching and teaching the Word of God. And young men who see the need in doing that, we're very grateful for you. And I encourage you in that regard to continue to devote yourself to the study of God's Word and the devotion that you need to that so that you can be one of those 
iron pipes that carries the message in its purity to people who really need to hear it. After all, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, The harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth laborers into his harvest. The world's greatest need is to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you have in verses 1 and 2 a great charge which God gives to uh, Timothy. And in turn, all of us who see the need of teaching others the Word of God. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. I'm in 2 Timothy 4, now verse 2. Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Paul is giving a charge to the young preacher, and he's saying, your charge is to preach the fullness of Christ. Now, when you do that, you will have three attitudes you will encounter. So I want to talk about that just for a minute. What kind of attitude are you going to face? And here it is. One attitude is a closed-minded attitude. The mind's closed. People have already made up their minds. They don't want to hear the Word of God. They don't want to hear what you have to say. I think sometimes people are just so busy that they really don't give time to the Word of God. And they're just so busy with other things, they just don't have time for it. Robert Fulton invented the steamboat. I never paid much attention to it until I read a biography of his life. Robert Fulton went to Napoleon and wanted an audience with Napoleon to try to explain to him his new invention, the steamboat. But Napoleon was busy. Napoleon finally said, okay, I'll give you two minutes. Two minutes just wasn't enough time to explain the advantages of a steamboat and how important that particular device really was. So, Napoleon was not convinced. He didn't think that the invention which Fulton had was of great value. The invasion of England would have been entirely different if Napoleon had given sufficient time to listen to Robert Fulton and his new invention. But because he wouldn't, the outcome was a disaster. How many lives would have been changed if they just give time to listen to the preaching of the Word of God? How many destinies would be changed if people just gave time to listen and consider what God is saying and how important it really is. There are those who will not listen because they just don't have time and they've closed their heart and they've closed their mind. And when you go out preaching and teaching the Word of God and you feel the need to tell others about the gospel, you're going to find there are those who have open minds. 
they're willing to listen. They're willing to consider. They want to know what the Bible has to say, and they evaluate it. They're involved in what the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 21. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Listen to it, evaluate it, look at it. And then when you understand what it really is, then accept it. But then there's a third attitude you're going to come across. There are going to be people when you mention Christ to them, and when you go out preaching and teaching to people, there's going to be what really bothers me the most, indifference. We just don't care. We're not interested in it. We don't care anything about it. We've got other things on our mind. Other things are more. It's not that I'm against it. I just don't care about it. And that what, that's what bothers me the most, I suppose. Paul came across these attitudes in Acts chapter 17. In the verse, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. That's a closed mind. They're not going to have anything to do with it. They don't know anything about it and they don't care about it. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this indifferent. We'll hear you some other time. As far as the record is concerned, Paul never went back to Athens. As far as I know from the record, they never had another time to hear the gospel message. Thus, its importance in hearing and obeying it at the time. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. There will be some open minds. And may God get the preacher and the teacher to the mind that is open, who needs to hear the Word of God and wants to hear the Word of God. After all, the Bible does say, Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. You've got to hear it, and you've got to do it, and you need an iron pipe that will teach you and bring it to you in its purity. That's what we're doing as the family of God. We've come here to assemble, to hear the Word of God. And may we have the attitude that young Samuel had. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Now, I want to continue our discussion, but I want to talk about the singing of the congregation and the prayers, which are other items of our worship. But I felt the need to talk about the importance of preaching and the importance of the time that we are spending together. May we not neglect it. May we not take it for granted. May we be active listeners to the Word of God. If you've never obeyed the Word of God, I urge you to do it today. To repent of sin, Luke 13, 3. And confess your faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And to be baptized into Christ. What a great opportunity to do that. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Mark 16, 15 and 16. To be added to the church of the Lord. To listen to the teaching of God's Word and grow and mature. And to be more like Jesus every day, which is God's purpose for our lives. Won't you do that today? Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?